Hello and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode 23 of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. On each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. On today's episode, is there an issue in Canada that might one day come home to roost? I started with a pun. Paul, I can only apologise, but where are we going today and is it affecting everyone's breakfast table? Yeah, well, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, this is a, a piece that I uh, read in uh, AgriWeek and uh, kind of piqued my interest. And I thought it's an interesting topic worthy of some conversation and discussion because it is truly a Canadian kind of context. And it's especially relevant today because of the discussions we're having around inflation and more particularly uh you know, food prices and that kind of stuff. So let me put this into a couple of buckets. The transportation uh, costs are going up dramatically because of the price of oil, price of carbon tax, price of uh, taxes on fuel. So that's one bucket is transport. Second bucket is around housing. And that really is, uh, you know, you get national figures, but they're driven by Toronto and Vancouver. I just noticed that, um, you know, numbers came out a few days ago for Vancouver. The prices being what they are in Vancouver, um, the Royal Bank's latest affordability index said it uh, for a single-family home, we're back at about it takes 100% of the median income in Vancouver to buy a single detached home. And in last month, sales went up 30%. So, I mean, clearly that market's not being turned down. I mean, it is just continuing to motor along. And part of that's likely inflationary psychology, which people think it's going to be more expensive tomorrow, so I better buy it today. And, uh, you know, interest rates are going to go up, yada, yada. And the third piece is food inflation. So part of that's impacted by the transport thing. Uh, as we import food, particularly in the winter, the price of fuel goes up and that impacts our ability to, uh, you know, import or not. Imp- we don't lose the ability. What it does is just drives up the price. So fresh fruit and vegetables coming in from California, Arizona, uh, prices going up, add a little bit of uh, complication to that with uh, the border restrictions around uh truckers and uh, their COVID vaccine. So that's limited the number of trucks that are available, which pushes the price up again. Anyway, the, back to the piece in AgriWeek. And uh, he, he was tying it to more of the recent conversation around what's going on with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and the term oligarch. And uh, here's here's the opening line of a, of a little piece he did in there. And he uh, I'll just read it to you. The supply-managed dairy farmers of Quebec are the closest Canada has to post-Soviet oligarchs, and he calls them les, les oligarques canadiens. And I thought it's really quite a fascinating piece that, uh, you know, when you look at the way we do basic agriculture in Canada, we, we certainly are different than anybody else, and supply management is a distinctly unique uh, Canadian kind of episode. Now, there are a whole bunch of things behind it. Ostensibly, it was designed to protect farmers, right, to keep them viable and all of that stuff. The problem is it eliminates competition. And in any activity, you eliminate competition, you get fat, you get lazy, you get oligarchy, uh, is what this guy's argument is. And 
you know, there's something to it that, and it also disrupts uh, the natural order of things. So the way most industry works is you, you gravitate to the lowest cost jurisdiction. You look to be the most efficient you can at, at a price that is more attractive than your competitor, or at least equal to your competitor, uh, because consumers will drive that. In Canada, we don't have any choice. Uh, consumers are uh, basically handcuffed. We really don't have any option uh, when it comes to dairy and to poultry. So chicken, eggs, the feather industries, as they call it, and dairy. And the bulk of that stuff is actually it's really centered around we make it's a provincial kind of construct so it's designed to be uh, production occurs near uh, the population area so it takes out the uh, natural advantage that you know theoretically uh, if feed grain is a big piece of what goes into poultry production and uh, and dairy production then you know a place like Saskatchewan would be the logical place to go because we have the source of feed Instead, it's in Quebec and in Ontario, where land prices are the highest, and that factors into it. And, and so at the end of the day, in supply management, every six months or whatever it is, the federal government sets the price, uh, and it's based on you know input from the farmers and say, this is our cost of production, and then they get that guaranteed plus some profit. And on top of that, in order to get access to this, you have to buy quota. There's a quota allocated to each jurisdiction. And quota is probably the most powerful thing on the balance sheet of any of these farmers. It's millions and millions and millions of dollars, which has artificially inflated the price of food uh, doing that. So does that mean that if we are taking like for like and there is effectively this flat rate system and the cost of land and everything associated with producing in, you know, Eastern Canada is that price, but we've got access to the grain and we've got cheaper land. Does it mean the margin's better here? Well, it should be, but we have the smallest market, so we have very little quota, so we have very little production. And um, and so if you, you know, the easiest comparison for this is anybody who's traveled to the U.S., you know, uh, if you've ever gone to an American grocery store, that the, the price difference between chicken in Canada and the U.S. is amazing. And you see lots of people who drive across the border to buy that stuff. If they're in border communities, Sault Ste. Marie in Ontario, you see it in, uh, you know, the Okanagan, they'll be going down across the line to OMAC or someplace like that. And it's really because there's a 30% spread. And that's really the number. That's what it boils down to. Our food, uh, for just the, those basics that are covered, so chicken, eggs, dairy, cheese, you know, the stuff that families need, uh, particularly milk, are 30% higher. And now we have, you know, the federal government, uh, you know, wailing and and sort of complaining and trying to protect us from a higher cost when, in fact, you know, they're largely responsible for it. Now, they'll never attack this because uh, there's too many votes in Quebec uh, that would be at risk here. And you saw even uh, the conservatives who are much more free traders and they they still won't touch this thing because they just know that there are too many writings at risk and and so we end up with a you know an upside down kind of policy on this thing designed to protect votes at a time when inflation is making it very difficult for real people to uh, to purchase nutritious uh, dietary items and if you really wanted to lower inflation the government controls most of it lower the sales tax on fuel what you're seeing provincial governments do, you're not seeing it in Ottawa. In fact, what are they doing raising the tax on, on uh, carbon? 
they could actually, you know, do some things around uh, supply management, which would lower inflation. And interestingly, this was the sticking point between Canada and the U.S. when we were negotiating the free trade deal. And the Americans, this irritates the hell out of them, right? They they see this as, you know, just phony baloney. And we can talk about all the stuff they do that's phony baloney, too. And there's no question no one is lily white and all of this. But this one's so evident. That's, it, it becomes a, a real uh, target point. And it got to the point where here there was a, a, a someone in the industry here that was, in my view, always a kind of a forward thinker, came up with this idea and said, there is an opportunity here. It would, it's a bold one. It would take some courage. But the view was this. What if Saskatchewan were to take advantage of the natural advantage that we have with all of the feed grains and the land, the abundant land supply, and and said, we're opting out. We're going to leave the supply management system in Canada. Two things would happen. One is you would afford the opportunity for Saskatchewan consumers uh, to buy in the U.S., which we can't right now because you can't import, right? Uh, and we can't export. That's the trade-off. We can't import cheaper American goods, and we can't export to them. And that was always the irritant that was coming from the Americans is they say they can import, uh, you know, we could import cheaper American cheese, for example. They have loads of it coming out of Wisconsin. And, you know, they're basically shut out. We created some kind of quota or a little bit of a space for them. We've never met it. We never let it in. I mean, so you have this uh, kind of situation where, and again, if you look at the U.S. on the using natural advantage, the dairy is all in Wisconsin. The poultry is all in Arkansas in the U.S. And where is it in Canada? It's in the high population jurisdiction in Quebec and Ontario. It's not in New York and California in the States because natural advantage doesn't allow that to happen. It, it gravitates to a lower cost jurisdiction. In the U.S. for dairy, that's Wisconsin. And for the uh, uh, poultry side, it's Arkansas. So Canada is artificially paying a higher price for it. And you you do hear people talking about it here. But the notion that, that this was advanced by this player in Saskatchewan went like this. Let's opt out. And yes, consumers could then drive across to, you know, Plentywood or Minot and pick up uh, some cheaper product. But that was not the issue. The issue was if we opt out, then the world becomes our market. Right now, if you're a dairy producer or a chicken and egg producer in Saskatchewan, your market is Saskatchewan. That's it. You have a million people that you can play with. The argument here was if we opted out, you would have seven billion as your market. You could go all around the world and effectively say Saskatchewan has natural advantage. Let's capitalize on that and let's start production here in mass volume with a target of only shipping either to the U.S. or say China, Japan, uh, some of those places. And, you know, the last time I was in China, you you think, well, that's kind of a quantum leap. It is. The last time I was in China, it was interesting to go to a grocery store and you see that the dairy counter is owned by New Zealand uh, and it's fresh. Um, You know, they're bringing it in and they can make it work. And New Zealand had to actually go through the exercise where they hit the wall. The country went broke and all their subsidized industries were cleaned out. Dairy was a big one. Those who survived were remarkably strong. And, for example, butter, uh, New Zealand owns the Chinese market. Well, listen, New Zealand's three, four million people. Would you rather have that or a billion? 
a billion and a half. And so uh, for the New Zealand farmer, this has been an absolute windfall. They have, uh, you know, lined up really. And, and it's interesting to see who they compete head to head with. The two biggest players in butter distribution in China are New Zealand and Ireland. Now, you know, obviously those are jurisdictions where they can make it cost effective and they can get scale and economy of scale uh, and volume that would make it worthwhile to be able to do it. Well, the argument that was being advanced here is Saskatchewan is distinct enough that in, in the fact that it has no domestic market really to speak of. I mean, we aren't abandoning very much. We could just opt out and say, now we've just added, you know, 7,000 times as much uh, opportunity here. Interesting idea. You don't hear very many people talking about it, but this article in AgriWeek kind of got me thinking about it in that, you know, using the term uh, les oligarques uh, was kind of an interesting one and in that there is a bit of, uh, you know, the, the those in supply management, producers in supply management are somewhat holy in the sense of they're very well protected and you know, you really, you know, even talking like I am now is kind of sacrosanct in some parts of this country. And, uh, but I think we do need to, you know, smack the beehive once in a while and just shake things up. So here we are. The interesting thing for me is, you know, I've got a lot of focus on pass through international trade and being really interested in how things are in different markets in different countries and how it compares to here. And very often you can't compare um, apples to apples, because jurisdictions are just so different. But there was a deal done a number of years ago between Canada and the uh, European Union on cheese imports. And this was all around the time of the discussions with the Americans. And just as an example of that, I'm, I know the producers of a certain popular British cheese, which is also sold here. And when I spoke to them about it being opened up, uh, it was interesting because they said even with all of the costs involved, including bringing it over and all of the labeling and all the additional costs that come with it with the repackaging, the margin on it that they can make is significantly higher than anything they can make on the same product back in the UK. And the reason is the artificially high price of cheese here means that they can make whilst it's a smaller quantity in total, their margin on it is just incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, this is one of the, the frustrations for me as just simply a Canadian and as a citizen, is I wish our political parties were more attuned or astute uh, at having this conversation, because it boils down to this to me, is that we have the kind of two divergent viewpoints in Ottawa. And one is, I want to make you dependent on me and I want to make prices high so that governments can then send you money in relief and you would be scared to vote against them because they're relieving you, even though they are artificially making it difficult for you to exist versus those who say, let's get everything out of the way and let's make it cheaper for you to live and you'll be on your own. I can't for the life of me understand why the right cannot explain that, express that in this country. In fact, they're always allowing you know, the Trudeau is the best at it for defining what a conservative is. I mean, for God's sakes, we have a leadership race going on. Would one of them stand up and tell me what a conservative is instead of just being so defensive and saying, no, here are some things that could be addressed. And if price of food is really an issue, 
then here's one that should be put on the table. But of course, they're afraid of that because, you know, there's too many. It's, you know, action packed, voted packed Quebec. And, and effectively, you know, the country and political decisions are run from that perspective. And it's quite difficult uh, in, in when you look at the disruption in the country. I mean, you end up with. At the end of the day, you end up with separatist movements all across the place, right? I mean, we have one that's quite strong in Quebec, and it's been there for years. You have one emerging in the West. Um, you know, at this point, it's kind of like the only one who's not trying to, to leave is Ontario, and everybody else is trying to get the hell away from them. And I'm not sure that's, you know, why is that not being discussed in a, in a political context? I mean... Is it is it the case that if it isn't discussed, then it doesn't really need to be addressed? Well, it doesn't exist, right? If you don't mm. if you don't acknowledge it, it, and you hope that somebody isn't standing there with a whistle calling you out and saying the emperor has no clothes, but I mean, if you really wanted to be cynical and harsh about it, you could say this: the legacy of the Trudeau family is going to be a separatist party in Quebec from Trudeau the first, and a separatist party in the West from Trudeau the second. Well, you expect to be your prime minister to be a nation builder, not a divider. I mean, nice nation building guys. And to me, uh, you know, why can that not find its way into the political discourse? And and that is, you know, maybe what we're talking about here of supply management just being this uniquely, distinctly Canadian construct is a symptom of something where, you know, we do not want to teach people to fish. We want to give them fish and we will artificially set the price of the fish so that they must depend on us to get them because they don't know how to go around it or we make the rules so difficult they can't get away with it. They can't They can't change. They can't get around it. And this is exactly why we called this podcast Saskatchewan Matters. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time on this and thanks to you for also taking the time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Do share these insights that power Saskatchewan with your friends and colleagues. Saskatchewan Matters is proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network.